0: Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Thank you, Christina. So go ahead and write in the comments, what was that word or phrase that stuck out to you? You might even uh, put it in your revelation reclaimed workbook. We are starting week five which starts on page 24, page 24 in week five. If you don't have a Revelation Reclaimed workbook, you can download one for free at our website. Um, We can also mail you one. If you give us your post address, we'll mail you a hard copy. Even though we're getting to the end of section one of our workbook, and then starting with Lent, we're gonna get a second workbook. I love this workbook. If you all have been getting life in the workbook, can you just put an exclamation point in the comments? Because like, it's just such a helpful reminder to continue to, um, I guess, using the language of the sermon today, like to, to wash in the text, like to continue to return to this and, and to really submerge in it. Um, even, and perhaps especially, the parts that are pretty problematic. <laughs> uh, that We're, in these coming weeks, going to be encountering texts that don't sit well in the first read or the fourth read or the 20th read. And that's why we keep returning to it because we know that um, it's like Jacob wrestling with God. Like, I'm not going to let go of this until it blesses me. And so, um, uh, so please do put that word or phrase in there and we will continue with our service. A really good point was brought up in the sacred witnessing conversation last week. Um, sacred witnessing is the Zoom call that we have after worship services to talk about things. A really good point was brought up because if you remember, uh, for those of you who were with us last week, the sermon was about the image of the slain lamb and uh, kind of the glorification of weakness that's present in the book of Revelation, which I claimed was a really, important interpretive key like the kind of like a a foundational piece to understanding revelation because if there if we start approaching all of the violence and problematic parts without first seeing that god wants the glorification of weakness and all of creation to be saved then we're just going to get twisted in all sorts of ways that was last week and uh during the sacred witnessing conversation someone brought up and i asked their permission to be able to mention this um so is it possible that the glor the Christian glorification of weakness can sometimes get twisted into, um, kind of this like shamey, I deserve suffering in my life. And if I'm suffering, then that means I'm doing God's will thing. Like, is there a way that, that this kind of Um, And there was the example brought up of of people who remain in domestic abuse situations who uh, see this as like, well, I just got to stay here because this is the will of God for me to suffer. People of God suffer and I'm suffering right now. So this is the will of God. And I thought that was a really, really important insight because it's kind of like, we're, go- we're driving around a mountain road, and I could see how if we don't put up guardrails, then we'll just launch right off the cliff and end up in that spot where there's this kind of glorification of suffering. And it reminds me of, um, I'm part of a, a, many different anti-racism forums, convenings, boards, workshops, whatever, and um, something I notice in anti-racist workshops from uh, Our white community is that a lot of times folks who attend white folks who attend anti-racist workshops walk away with two one of two takeaways neither of which were the intention of the anti-racism training so one of the things that people uh, white folks walk away from anti-racism training with is um, well I'm glad I'm not one of the bad ones (laughs) you know kind of this sense of like we looked at like People who were like lynching people, or we looked at people who were like, you know, slashing tires or doing like really really violent things. And I'm not doing anything like that, so that must mean that I'm one of the good ones, right? Which like is ultimately extremely counterproductive because uh, if we're not willing to see how white supremacy has been internalized into every person who is growing up or living in America, then we're not actually going to be able to get rid of it, right? So. Uh, so that's one unintended consequence. The second unintended consequence from anti racism training is this kind of belief. Um, it's like, because during the anti racism training, we talk about uh, we can't let white comfort be the center of our discourse. In other words, like, uh, so much of the spaces that we're in are like, if the white people are comfortable, then it's fine to talk about racism. And the second that white people become uncomfortable, then it's not okay to talk about racism. And we've seen that through uh, uh, outrage, outbursts. We've seen that through when people st- start crying, especially white women, uh, stereotypically in these conversations, start crying. And then all of a sudden, all the attention goes to attend to the white woman, right? Like... Something we repeat a lot is that white comfort can't be the center of the conversation. However, one of the takeaways that people, uh, white folks, lead from, from those workshops with is, um, if I'm uncomfortable, then I must be doing anti-racism work? Like if we can't, if, if I'm not supposed to center white comfort, then that must mean that if I put myself in uncomfortable situations and that's what anti-racism work is. And I think that, <laughs> Ooh, that is, that's not really the intention of the, of at least the anti-racist discourse that I'm part of. Like it's more like in order for us to change entire systems of power, we're going to have to do some like countercultural awkward, socially not smiled upon things necessarily to be able to, to create a situation where all people are free. You might think of it like a Venn diagram. Anti-racism work often requires action that is uncomfortable for white folks because they're, they're disrupting a system of power that they themselves benefit from, and that requires a little bit of discomfort. However, like there are also things that are uncomfortable that aren't anti-racist, they're just uncomfortable. <laughs> and so the way that you determine the difference between the two is kind of like, what is the, the goal that I'm trying to change? What is, what is the direction that we're pushing towards? What is, the discomfort isn't the ends. The discomfort is like something that the tunnel that we travel through in order to emerge on another side in a world that's a little bit more liberated. And by the way, there is anti-racist work to do that isn't intrinsically uncomfortable, like uh, celebrating each other and worshiping together. And uh, well, some people might say that worshiping is extremely uncomfortable because God is dropping a truth that we don't want to hear. But, <laughs> but being in community together is also pleasurable and rewarding. So there is anti-racism work that isn't uncomfortable and therefore discomfort can't be the only qualifier that we look for of whether or not anti-racism work is happening that makes sense are you if you're vibing with me can you do some snaps i suppose uh this is all pre-recorded so i won't be able to loop back to explain more but it would be helpful for me to know if the community is tracking with this and this is especially important because when we look at revelation and the glorification of the lamb um, it's like <laughs> Jesus was crucifi- was executed by the state on the cross and then like was resurrected. But that doesn't mean that people who are following Jesus should just look willy-nilly for any opportunity to get crucified. <laughs> and in fact, uh, in early Christianity, when martyrdom was starting to crop up because the Roman Empire was like, whoa, these Christians are not... Uh, if, if we let Christians do their thing, then the empire is going to uh, topple, which I, I think in many ways they were right. Uh, so they were like starting to persecute Christians. And, uh, and there were people who were being martyred. And one of the agreements that the early church had was that um, we wouldn't name someone as a martyr if they intentionally sought out the type of suffering, if they created the 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 kind of uh, circumstances for them to die for their faith like if they intentionally provoked it the people who were identified as martyrs were the folks who bore witness to their faith and through persisting in that ended up in circumstances that resulted in them dying but they didn't uh, the christian community was like we we're no, <laughs> we don't want folks to like intentionally just like cruci- get into a crucifixion situation because there's not a ton of Christians and we kind of like need to keep this, the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the liberating love of God, not how performative we can kind of show our faith to the world. So um, that, was, that was a really important dynamic and we see that dynamic as we get into the image that we read about today, the witnesses and the robes. Now, for those of you who are working on the workbook, uh, we're on page 24, by the way, um, you'll read the text for this week that kind of walks through the entire chapter. And and the part that we heard in our worship service today is following the part about the four horsemen, uh, which you might remember from last week, if you were with us last week, are like the representation of of the 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 things within human beings that cause human beings to destroy each other. So, for example, we heard about the horsemen of war who convinced people to kill each other, right? Then, in juxtaposition to that, we have the witnesses, who are the people who... Like, their resume says, "...I saw under the altar those who had been slaughtered on account of the word of God and the witness they had given." The witness that they had given. Remember that in Revelation 2 and 3, we read letters to churches. So uh, John is clearly setting up this kind of like pathway of what it means to be a follower of Christ, where he's saying like, I'm writing this to churches who are getting some things right, but are getting a lot of things wrong. And I'm holding up this image of these Christian practitioners who remained steadfast in their witness and then were slaughtered because of it. Uh, And remember that this is written by this guy named John, who traditionally is that eventually he died by being boiled in oil alive. Uh, As one person pointed out, John was deep fried, right? So like, this is kind of the trajectory that he's seeing, not for the sake of glorifying suffering in itself, but Acknowledging that if the empire can um, make us bow down in fear, then we'll never build the kingdom of God, the world that God imagines. If the empire can uh, uh, um, intimidate us into being fearful, then the empire always wins. (laughs) And so John is like, there has to be some way that we can oppose. But when I say empire, I mean the mechanisms of violence and distrust the things represented by the four horsemen, um, like there must be a way for us to be able to oppose the empire in a way that doesn't just that doesn't just cause us to run away the second that they flex a little muscle, because the empire tends to have a lot of muscle, just like a kangaroo. Terrifying so uh so the so what made the witnesses the witnesses were the people who were willing to oppose, to rebel against, to push back on the empire and say, "You can kill me, uh I'm not going to seek death, I'm not going to intentionally create suffering in my life. I'm just going to witness to the truth that, that I see it, and I know that even the worst things that the empire can do are not greater than the love of God. And so here are these, uh, the image of these folks who were like brutally murdered uh, uh, for standing up for the faith, for being Christian. And they're talking to God. And boy, I don't know if you caught, but the prayer life of these like saints or these witnesses is what I hope my prayer life will be one day. Where apparently they were like close enough to God that they could just be like, hey, God, we got to go. <laughs> like, look at the time. We need justice now. We need justice now. And I just, part of the reason why I love being Christian is because it's a pathway to creating enough intimacy and trust with God that you don't have to be like, oh, all the time, right? <laughs> like, you there's a, a there's a point in prayer life where you can really be honest with God and feel that intimacy and trust that God is big enough that no matter like how like shade fairy our words or prayers are to God, that God can like handle it. And so um, so the saints are like, hey, so we died to witness to against the empire. When are we going to see justice? When is the, the, the empire going to be toppled over? When is the kingdom of God going to be established? When is there going to be this abundant life that we are committing to? And God um, gives them two things, two things that I I most dearly hope for the advocates among us. First of all, God is like, it's okay to rest. It's okay to rest. You can rest a little bit more. Oh, there's someone. In the New City community today, who needs to hear that for all of the advocacy that you're doing, all the pushing that you're doing, God honors that and receives that and is so glad. God knows what it's like to have to tense up your back and to push against immovable, seemingly immovable objects for the sake of justice and truth and for what you know is right. God honors that, and God, to those very advocates and saints, says... It's okay to rest. It's okay to take time to rest, to nap. Justice will come. Justice inevitably will come. As um, uh, and our pushing is part of that justice, but our pushing isn't the totality of that justice. Like we push for justice, but God's spirit is saying like. I am working in the world there is a way that things are unfolding where liberative love will be the whole, uh, will be known by all the land in the meanwhile we will both push and rest so that's the first thing that god gives these witnesses the second thing that god gives these witnesses is a white robe who knew that there was swag in heaven I was really inspired to hear the perspectives and scholarship of New Testament scholar Dr. Blount, who looked at uh, read the book of Revelation and compared it to the African American experience. Especially when looking at this concept of a white robe, it's like, okay, uh, what is what does this actually mean? And uh, Blount named a couple of things that I thought were extremely insightful. First of all, when he was talking about um, the experience of the African-American community, he talked about how uh, clothing and garments can be seen as an act of resistance. When people were transitioning out of, uh, you know, during the emancipation, uh, transitioning out of slavery or fleeing for themselves or resisting on their own terms, using their own agency, um, uh, they had a choice of clothing where it was like, There's the clothing that the enslaver gave you, which was only functional clothing to perform jobs for the sake of slavery, right? Like it had nothing to do about personality or being a human or an individual. It was only because if you didn't clothe the the people, then they wouldn't have been able to do the work, right? It was only for production, only for capitalism. Um, and then the, um, the opportunity to save up uh, once uh, slaves were out of, sla- enslaved people were out of slavery, the opportunity to save up, to choose garments for themselves, to be able to have set aside special clothes to wear to church and hush harbors. Like there was a, there was a, there was an agency, a self-identification of, of what it meant to be able to choose how you present yourself to God, and not just wearing the, the the tattered robes of the empire, but being able to choose how you present to God. And so God uh, said like, hey, if you want some, some white robes, you can have it. But Dr. Brown uh, emphasizes that this was not a passive uh, uh, charity, pity, Giving this this isn't like oh they're in pain. It's like when you're waiting for a restaurant. Back when we used to wait for restaurants, and they're were like, we're going to give you a free appetizer because you waited so long. Like this isn't the free appetizer of heaven. <laughs> this is the garment of of resistance of agency. Dr. Blount makes a really compelling case to naming um, the garments didn't start out washed. The, the garments didn't start out clean. The, what we see in these witnesses over um, these chapters of Revelation is that the witnesses were washing, choosing to wash in the blood of the Lamb, which you might remember from last week represents the liberation of God. And so just to review, Dr. Blount is arguing that in even in heaven, there's an opportunity for the saints to practice agency. There's choice involved in how we show up, even in heaven. (laughs) The the saints are the ones who are able to choose to bring their robes to wash in the blood of the lamb, which you might remember from last week represents liberation, to to wash their garments in liberation. And, And I just think that that's so important because it's not like the only time when we can choose, when we have free choice is when we're alive on earth. Like part of love is that God is allowing us to choose even in heaven, according to this argument from Dr. Blount, which I think is very compelling. Like it's not really actually love if the kings who take off their crowns and give it to God don't have a choice in the matter. Like the amazing gift of heaven is that everyone has choice and like god's love is so felt and real and pervasive and transformative that everyone chooses actively to worship god that it's it's a it's a choice that reflects the dynamic of love that god has always set up between human beings i think this is a beautiful observation and it reminds us that Our work on earth, because remember that John is always driven towards ethics, always driven towards behavioral change on earth, is to see how we can wash our garments in liberation, to see how we can um, choose to resist the empire in everything from our clothing and our swag to our words and witness that our whole being can be this like beacon of light that radiates from the soul outward that isn't um, about unique individualism. It's, it's about all of the light of the, all of creation joining together to push back against the empires that are killing us. This is how we will find liberation in this world and how we will live into liberation after we die with God. This is the invitation for us to take up our robes, regardless the color, and to find a new way to choose how to live as as witnesses of the faith. I think that this is really important for you to keep in mind as we enter deeper and deeper into the most violent parts of the book of Revelation, that there's, um, that John is setting up people to see themselves as people who resist, as people who witness, who hold fast to liberating love, even when cataclysm is going on all around the world. I think the John intentionally is trying to up the ante, trying to increase the heat a little bit, raise the temperature a little bit, for what it means for people to practice faith. Because if we can, sur- if if by listening to this apocalypse, we can survive the intense, graphic imagery of the Revelation, reading through it, then surely we can apply it to our lives, where the hardest thing that we have to do is like disrupt a work meeting to call out someone, to call in someone who says something racist, right? <laughs> like, like Revelation is so intense, and it invites us to look at our lives differently. It invites us to see how we can scour through every part of our lives and insert in a little bit of love and liberation and witness, even in our very everyday circumstances. May this be our intent this week and every week. Amen.